Welcome to International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Micton. Dan Taylor is away today. One of the things that I think all of us that are in international schools, and you know, this podcast over the last few years has really focused on international schools, educators, entrepreneurs, leaders, and kind of anything that really touches in the topic. But one thing is that there are many international school educators that have their own children going to international schools. So you have a couple generations and that's really interesting. And then, you know, maybe a percentage become educators themselves and international school educators. And, and I know for the case of my two children who went through international schools all their life, they are not international school educators and they had no plans to become. But that could be very different in different contexts. And today is kind of unique because our two guests are children of international school educators, and they themselves have their children in international schools. And what makes it even more interesting, it's all within the same school over a span, I'm going to say, of maybe 30, 40 years, which is just very unique. And that's something else. You know, international schools, often there's this high transition. People come and go. They're on the circuit. They do two, three years or five years. But there are international schools around the world where people do settle down, especially if they have families or they like the environment or it's really conducive to their professional growth. And they will stay a long time And different schools have different lifespans of their educators. And that's, I think, in itself something that's really interesting. There's no doubt there are a few international schools that are turning 100 and there are other international schools that are not older than a year. So we really have kind of the gamut of different ages of international schools. But today we have uh, really the privilege and honor to having two educators from the International School of Geneva, which is part of the Ecoland Foundation in Geneva, Switzerland. And Stefan and Matt, both educators, are children of international school educators and parents of students in the International School at Ecoland. So Matt and Stefan, a warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Hi, thanks. So maybe let's just start off with, as we always do, just a quick little bio, Stefan, and then Matt, just kind of give us a context of who you are, what you're teaching, and then we'll kind of dig into some of the dynamics of being children of international school educators and parents of. Okay, hi, I'm, I'm Steph. Um, I'm a singer, songwriter, performer, teacher, author, and uh, above everything, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a big believer in, in, in this international school. So I've been a teacher at La Tenere for about 14 years now, under many guises, uh, language teacher, English, French, music, drama. But my current role is my passion in teaching, and that's outdoor learning and uh, forest school education. And uh, yeah. Uh, like John said, I've been at the school. I was probably conceived at the school, which we probably should talk about that. <laughs> so a long time, and um, yeah, I think that's about it. I think uh, Matt should take over. So hi, I'm Matt Welling, and uh, Matt's my step. Um, I think I was probably also conceived at the school. If I'm honest. Uh, my parents met at the school uh, a while ago, uh, some four years, and uh, they were teaching geography and, and uh, English at the time. Uh, and so I went to the school as well, as an alumnus that graduated in 2001. And then after having done a roundabout journey, enjoying different I know, avenues, I did a study chemistry a lot, I came back as a chemistry teacher. And currently right now at La Chat, I'm um, teaching chemistry at the IB, but I'm also head of the theory of knowledge department, which is, I guess, my passion in education. So I guess um, making sure that students are aware of uh, critical thinking, but aware of perspectives, uh, aware of, let's say, grey questions, where it's not always easy. The, the world out there is not black and white. Um, and uh, obviously, my, my son's at school, uh, at as well. My daughter, who just turned one, is signed up to go to the school in a couple of years' time, which is obvious. So, on the side, obviously, I'm Mike Seth, I'm a musician, a performer, and uh, I've been playing music for a while together. So, at the moment, that's my main outfit. Uh, I have a few friends who I met in school, actually. Um, Back in the days, we're still in a band. We're very much a dad's band now. We, we play once a month, but the four of us are still recording, still playing, not performing as such, but just finding that space and that time. So there's some continuity there as well. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you guys when you speak to come closer to your computer mic, if you don't mind. Thank you. Yeah. 
Uh, so one of the things that I'd be curious, both so both of your uh, families, your parents are both educators, and they were both at the same campus that you are currently, which is really interesting. And that's uh, campus, uh, Ecoland International School of Geneva, I think dates back to 1924, but that campus may be in the late 70s. And so Ecoland has three, four campuses across the Geneva region. And this one that you both are is in another uh, another state called the Canton de Vaux and is a pre-K through 12 school. Stefan, so as you were being brought up in that environment, what were some of the things that kind of resonated with you as a child, as an adolescent? Because often, you know, many children often don't follow the paths of their parents. Usually you want to go and break away and do your own thing. What was something, you know, as you grew up and you watched your parents interact and you interacted, uh, maybe your siblings, in that environment, what kind of resonated for you that really stuck with you to this day? I think that's a, that's a great question. I think, I think as I get older and I reflect back, I start to see the things now. Because at the time, um, I have this funny story. Like I was driving my kid home one day and she said to me, Daddy, Daddy, do I have to be a teacher at Nashatendre as well? And I said, no, sweetie, you don't. Your grandpa was, grandma was, mommy is. And it was that sort of reflection. I had that same reflection at her age. But as I get older, I think the biggest thing that sticks with me is community. It's the fact that, that, that the community that's created at our school, and I'm sure at lots of international schools, there's something that sticks with you for the rest of your life. I still have, like Matt was just saying, he has friends that he still plays in a band with that he graduated with. I still hang out with my friends that I was in primary school with now, and I'm 47. And it's this great feeling of, of community. And, and we didn't say it before, but our parents were friends at school and still are friends now. And, and this goes on and goes on. And it's something that's not just reflected in Matt and I, but in our friends as well. You know, they, they, they love the fact of coming back and visiting and keeping in touch. And I think that's the biggest thing for me that I've taken away from being a student, being a teacher, being a parent, is this great sense of community that we have in our school. And I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure it happens in a lot of international schools, there's this, this community feeling. So Matt, you, I know, uh, had gone abroad and taught in another international school uh, before coming back to La Châtaigneraie. Would you say there's something about the structure or the culture that's unique to La Châtaigneraie, maybe that you didn't see in another school? And I think if I'm right, you were in Thailand and maybe it was a circuit school. You know, there, there's this, you know, we love labels as human beings, but one of them is people are called, oh, you're on the circuit. That means periodically you'll go to new schools, usually for professional reasons, or maybe you want to become a leader or you're looking to reinvent yourself in a different area of the curriculum. Now, what about your impression having gone out on the circuit and then come back? Did you notice something different? Yeah, I mean, wow, <laughs> what a question if I think about it. Just to give the listeners a bit more context, I've been teaching at the International School of Geneva for about five, six years. And I took a sabbatical and then taught for a year in the Seychelles, in the International School of the Seychelles, with 150 students on a small island, which was 14 kilometers long. We delivered the um, IGCSE and the A-level curriculum. And then I moved to Thailand and I taught in a, a small international school embedded in a large Thai school. And we taught again the uh, IGCSE and the A-level curriculum. Uh, and so I, I, when I came back after two years for quite a lot of reasons, and not just from the structure of the school, but from other um, privileges I wanted to make sure that I had for my kids, clean air, be one of them, let's say, it's really simple. But um, when, I, when I think about it, the thing that stood to me most, and um, I mean, again, this is, each school had something really special about it, but uh, was kind of the, the educational experience that students received was something else. And um, to give you a brief example, we have a, a speaker series happening at La Chitenere and uh, I'm on the other campuses. So this is John Deegan who gets different speakers in. So I just saw Alistair Campbell a couple of weeks ago speak. And I was just thinking how in the other schools I went to, something like that would just didn't happen. So this above and beyond the curriculum, this, um, hey, how do we show you what life is and how do we prepare you for life and make help you move forwards? I mean, Alistair Campbell came to speak as a politician, but also an advocate for mental health. So it wasn't just about, you know, so how do you, Go make your way in the world later, but it was like, how are we more aware of the bigger issues, the bigger social justice issues 
of the world. And I feel that is just one of probably many examples which I felt the school at Eckland was offering students, which I didn't see in other schools. And I'm not saying the other schools were doing their students a disservice, just that was something that really stood out to me. So you grew up through the school, your parents were teachers. Anything that you, were there moments where you're like, I am not doing this. Uh, this doesn't look like something I want to, I mean, because now you're both educators, but were there moments where you're thinking, you know, my passion is something else. Thank you, mom and dad, for this great experience. I'm moving on. Or I'm just curious, Stefan, did you go through that? Oh, very much so. I mean, I, I thought being a teacher for many, many, many years. In fact, I, I tried so hard that I became a professional musician as far away as you can from teaching. But uh, even when I became a musician, I then ended up teaching music. And then through teaching music, I got into teaching. And then and then I was lucky enough to you know get hired at Lashi Tenure. And, and so it was, it was one of those things that, I don't know if you could say that a teacher has a calling, but I, I fought it for a long time. I did. I did really fight it for a long time. But then, once I understood, you know what what it was and, and the idea behind it, I, I I've embraced becoming a teacher with my whole uh, my whole heart. I love it. I love it. And I thank my parents for being so patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> which which is great. You know, I know so great model for you as you have your own children going through this experience. Matt, you know, you grew up in, in your parents were teaching, you grew up in the area, you're teaching in the area. How is it with a local community and, and feeling integrated? Because you're in Switzerland and, you know, you, of course, speak the local language, you li live in the local community, you have a lot of history of the local community. Do you think there's always a bit of a disconnect as an expatriate, even though you might have spent all your childhood and now adulthood in the same place? And how do you see that with your own children, maybe? Again, that question makes me reflect so much on different aspects of my life. So, you know, people ask me, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, that's a tough one. Like, what do you mean where I'm from? Is it the, you know, my blood, my passport, some really basic things? Or is it which culture that I affect and which culture affects me? And I'd say that the strongest ties I have with Switzerland and its local community is how I affect its culture by being a musician or how its culture affects me in different ways. But individual ties with, let's say, local people, I'll be honest, that's one of the things I think I lack a bit. And one of the conversations I'm having with my partner at the moment is, do we want to have our kids maybe spend more time in even the local schooling system? So I know my, my, my daughter has signed up to go to Eckland, where we're having a discussion, like maybe we'd like her to go to the local system to help us integrate further, because we recognize that's maybe something which at the moment we're very much in, I don't want to use the word bubble as such, but in our communities, which are already established. Uh, and so th those links are hard to come by. I mean, when I was younger, I used to play rugby, with the local teams in Geneva. And that was my main link. But now I, I don't really do that. I mean, I, I see Steph every week, but uh, we work in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, that's really interesting. And, and Stefan, I know uh, you had mentioned that your parents are still in Switzerland. Is that correct? Yeah. And yeah. so uh, they've made Switzerland home. What about their journey as, as Matt was sharing so nicely about his perspective? Do you think they've integrated or is, is you know, how is that long term? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, yeah, again, a very good question. Um, my parents arrived in Switzerland in about 1971, 1972. So they've been here like, you know, 50 years, 50 odd years. And, um, I think that's one of those things that they came at a time of our school, which was, it was super vibrant. The staff was super young and they were kind of bringing this new era of education in. But I don't think they ever thought at the time that this is where they would end up and they would be here forever. But then kind of 30 years flashed by and you think, okay. And they did this sort of move in the, the late eighties. No, yeah, late eighties. Um, my dad said, now we're going to go back to the UK because we have to start thinking about retirement and, and this is it. And he got a job as a research fellow at the University of York and we got there and I can remember it. Yeah, I can remember it crystal clear. After about two months of being in the UK, uh, he walked through the door. He said, that's it. We're going back home. And that, and that, that clicked in my head because that was, the, I think, the first realization for my parents that home was Switzerland. And so we came back and then that's it. We stayed here. My parents, we, you know, the whole family's become Swiss. Um, the integration side for my family was 
what I would call very immersive because we we we, th we didn't do anything extracurricular through school. We did all our sports and all our music and all our creative stuff in the community. And so I, I think my parents realized sort of the late 80s that this is where they were going to stay. They feel Swiss and they're still here. They live up, to, you know, they live 10 minutes away from me in their little farm village. And my dad's still very much involved with the IB, uh, with his theater. My mom walks her dogs. So they've kind of very, um, they've, they've, they've done it where they kind of had this notion of coming here, doing something revolutionary, and then going back to where they, they thought they should be. And in fact, in the end of the day, the revolution happened and they stayed here. And this is where they feel most at home and where they sort of see themselves, I think. That's so interesting. And Matt, what about your children? I know they're younger, but do you think they are seeing Switzerland as home? You, I assume you're from the UK. You know, uh, how how are you playing that with your own kids? Because you've been here long term and you're, I, I are your parents still in Switzerland? Yeah, both my mom. My father lives in Switzerland. He lives like Steph's parents, 10 minutes away from me. It's crazy. <laughs> my mother um, moved down towards south of France maybe 10 years ago. So I see her a bit less regularly. Um, but I mean, just in that sense as well, I mean, since your parents became Swiss, you know, my extended family is Swiss. And I, I'm embarrassed to say this, I'm the only person without a Swiss passport. <laughs> my kids, uh, my son and my daughter, have exclusively a Swiss passport. They don't have a British passport, they're Swiss. And um, I think for them, I mean, de definitely um, my daughter, Juno, her home is going to be Switzerland. She was born in Switzerland. She's raised here. Um, Sky, obviously, he spent some time in the Seychelles and in Thailand. He used to tell people he was from Thailand. I, I, that's going to change after a while, I expect. <laughs> he gets a bit old. He's just turning seven um, next year. So um, I, I think for them, it's going to be home uh, without a doubt. There's, I don't see us moving anywhere else. I mean, I came back here because I felt as if Switzerland molded me. And as a result, that's where, surprisingly enough, I felt like I fit in best. So for me, it's home. How do you guys deal with in, in the school community that you work in? Of course, there are people that are circuit people that come and go, and there are other people that may be midterm, long term. How does that work for you when you you're, you know, you've been in the same school, your parents have been, and you and you interact with somebody who says, Oh, I worked in this place, or I worked in that place. What kind of feelings do you get? Or do you ever get like, oh, maybe I should do that? Or it's more kind of a sidebar interest? I think I think it's I don't know what Matt feels about, but I think I feel that when you grow up in this kind of environment, you learn you learn how to trust quickly, you learn how to make friends quickly, and you also learn how to move on quickly. And so when you meet people who you call like on the circuit thing, you have these great relationships for a little while, and then maybe they go off and they continue their own venture. But it doesn't make me feel in my head like, oh gosh, I I want to go and do that. I feel great pride in the. I mean, I, I say it to a lot of people, I feel great pride in the fact that I've known the school since its developmental stages and, and, and I've been a part of that developmental, uh, those develop, developmental stages. So I don't have this yearning to go and see other places. I fulfill my sort of yearnings with my projects, shall we say, like my writing and my music and, and, and just, yeah, I think, I think it's one of those weird things where I think when you feel good somewhere, you just feel good somewhere. And you don't yeah. need to find the, the grass is not always greener on the other side. It's Absolutely. Th that's so true. Matt, do, you, do you think that maybe your children will become educators or really young? But if you know, if you were a betting man. Well, you know, I'm not sure. My, my son doesn't necessarily seem to be going down that track at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, expect he's going to be an, an engineer of sorts. He, he likes to things a lot he loves being outside and my little girl i'm not sure yet i mean just to go back to the, like the previous question you asked you know i didn't know i was going to be an educator to be honest and i, I thought steph summed it up really well it's only with hindsight that i start realizing things i'll be honest i went through a lot of my youth up until at least 30 but not really being self-aware enough uh you know I, I finished school i went on to um tertiary education then uh, I got my PhD and I didn't even know what I was doing, but I realized that every time I was teaching or involved in teaching, I was happiest and maybe at my best. And bit by bit, I became more aware of that. And so I'm hoping that for my kids, if, if they want to do that, they do, or if they just find out what makes them happy, then I'll support them with that journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steph, what about your children? Because uh, as I remember, they're much older, right? And they, they're very likely now starting to think 
about tertiary education and next steps? We're, we're right in the mix now. So I have twins that are uh, doing their IB now. They're in year 13. So a lot of discussions about what you want to be in life. And um, I mean, I think I, I can hear my parents speaking when I speak to them in the sense of, wow, oh, you're so good with kids. You know, you're really good. You're comfortable. And I can hear their reply is my reply, which is, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But um, but I, I could see... um. Yeah, my my both my eldest have very 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 different uh, passions. So my my daughter is very sporty and she wants to go into sports studies, and my son is an arty, so he wants to go into art things. And I would say that if if they would go back to teaching, it will be like a journey similar to what maybe I've lived, which is to go and do other projects first, and then maybe realize through experience that. You know, actually, this is something that I enjoy doing, and it's something that I could do day to day. But at the moment, yeah, I, I mean, I, I cracked a joke at the start of the, the podcast about it was actually my eldest daughter who's finishing now, and she, I just remember it crystal clear. You know, Daddy, do I have to be a teacher? And I said, No, sweetie, you can do whatever you want. You know, Grandma was there, Grandpa was there, but you, know, you don't have to do that. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to cast a vote, but I think it would be one of those things of maybe potentially in you know 10 15 20 years maybe they'll decide to go into some sort of education maybe not teaching but some sort of education passing on knowledge type thing that's interesting so you say, you say passing on knowledge it's interesting i wonder in 15 years what education looks like right? in some ways you know it's looking at the whole different podcast <laughs> yeah no no but i think matt you have a really good point is you know what will it look like in will the context i have a feeling my personal opinion is that when Stefan's parents were teachers, the chances of that repeating mm -hmm. within our generation mm -hmm. uh, is much higher than maybe now. I think, you know, just I'm just thinking they with all this uh, artificial intelligence and, and personalized learning and kind of the dilution of physical space to many different spaces, it might look so Stefan, it might I think, you know, what you say is interesting is that they might not be teachers, but maybe they'll be in education because that yeah. might look very different in the context that we are. I assume both your partners are teachers too? Mine is, isn't it? Okay. Okay. No, the computer. Yeah. <laughs> so, and did you meet at the school, Stefan? Oh, yes. Uh, if like you want your to, parents. <laughs> if you want to continue the sort of uh, slush puppy type stuff, uh, it was a gaze across the staff room. <laughs> to everything that has followed years later so yes yeah my, my wife jen uh, yeah, yeah we met at school um not at school as in as students but as as teachers and uh, she's actually the vice principal at the at the school that we work at so she's your boss she's my it gets even if it's not, <laughs> it's not even worse uh, yeah, so met, yeah yeah so that was uh, a long time ago now but yeah oh. so we kind of we've kind of growing together and through the school as well together as the school's developed because it's yeah. obviously changed a lot since when we first arrived together teaching at the same school so well so just the numbers how large it's gotten so right. matt and stefan you talked about your friends you both referred to friends that were going to uh your school international school of geneva la chatenaria campus and are they educators too is there kind of like a a community is the, I mean, and over the, the whole foundation, or is it just the campus that you're on? So, so to keep the fairy story going, <laughs> uh, two of my colleagues that I work with at school are two people that I was at primary school with in the same class. So, wow. yes, we have stuck around. And I think, uh, was it two or three in the secondary that were in my year as well? And you've got the yeah. same as well. Yeah, I, mean, I sat next to one of Steph's colleagues <laughs> in primary school. <laughs> and actually, when I think about it, some of my friends who are in the band I was speaking about, they their kids also attend Mishatanari at the moment. Wow, that's so interesting as well. So we, we teach we teach our friends' children. Interesting. It's very, it's very strange. It's, very, it's quite it hard. Is, it is. But uh, you know, one thing that really resonated at the beginning, you both kind of talked about your passion for education. And that it really transcended the situation or the fact that your parents were there. You both really have uh, expressed that. 
is that what's driving you? It doesn't matter that you're La Chateaunet. You think that's the kind of the the thing that really keeps you going is this passion. It okay, you're in Switzerland, it's very nice, you're in a campus, your parents were there. But is it the passion for you that really is the driver? Because we're going to talk about your other passion too. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I think I think the passion for me has slow has slowly developed. I, I went into teaching. I, I was very lucky. I started as a classroom assistant and was a full-time class assistant and studied, did my degree and my teaching practice whilst I was an assistant. So it slowly developed over time. And then I was given various different jobs that I thought I was passionate about, as in like language and music and performing arts. But it was through these other jobs that I've actually fallen onto the passion, the passionate part of my teaching that I'm doing now, which is I'm a, I'm an atelierista at our school. And we're kind of we're kind of loosely following this idea of Reggio Emilia, which is very you know child-centered teaching, um, you know project-based. And that for me is where my passion is. It's the outdoors, it's project-based teaching, it's learning with the teach uh, with the kids, it's co-creating, it's um, differentiating. And so I think if you'd maybe talked to me two years ago, you might've sort of said, oh, maybe I might think about a sabbatical or something. Whereas now I've kind of tapped into this perfect role that has been without you know sort of mentioning it made for me and now i'm like fully into that and i have no no uh sort of feelings of angst of like oh i've got to go try something new i'm like totally into the job that i'm doing and that, and that is the passion that i get up at you know 5 30 every day to go to school to you know prepare the kids in the forest and do all these wonderful things and that passion is what keeps me going and keeps me going back to lash you know i could do this job anywhere else but I feel that that this is what I am, like you know, like like our parents before kind of created the the ambiance and the community that our school lives on. I feel that this outdoor learning and forest school, this is what I'm giving to that initial project, and this is where it's going. And so I would feel that weird, so like no, no, I'm going to go off to working in the international school of Japan or something because this is what I think my calling is. This is what my legacy will be at the school is this outdoor learning program. And it's so nice to hear, Stefan, that you kind of had this journey as you were trying different roles in the education field that kind of developed and pointed you to where you are. Matt, is that kind of your story too? How, you know, you also express some passion, especially about theory of knowledge and, you know, science. Yeah. What was your journey like as, and suddenly saying, okay, I'm going to stick to this? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the one of the first things that stuck with me was when I was doing my research, doing my PhD, you know, we had to teach as well as do research. And my colleagues would be like, oh, I've got to go deal with the first years now. Great. I'd rather do my research. And I was always like, hey, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> I'm always happy to work with them. That'd be great. I'd love to. And actually, when I started, I started EPFL in Switzerland, and uh, I barely spoke French, but they got me teaching uh, chemistry to first-year biologists. And I was roughly the same age as them, and I didn't speak any French. And they taught me French, and I taught them chemistry. <laughs> and it sort of from then I kind of realized that it, it's something that worked well with me and therefore I sort of um, developed the passion again, like I said, almost unconsciously as it moved forwards. And now obviously I, I realize, um, you know, I, I say I'm a chemist, but to me, theory of knowledge is sort of the key part of the IB uh, curriculum. In fact, when I was in Seychelles, I wrote a theory of knowledge course for the middle school and delivered it there. And I tried to embed my teaching of theory of knowledge in all the subjects I teach. And it is a, it's a core subject. It's like, you know, what's uh, how we how we develop and create knowledge. So um, for me, it's definitely the the highlight of my let's say my teaching days is, is uh, epistemology effectively. And I think, as you say, you know, it's you're describing it to us that it's in everything that you teach. And I think the theory of knowledge is so important, especially in the context where we have a lot of major ethical. Uh, creative tensions that we're juggling and a lot of our students are facing a world that's quite challenging. So that's just so nice to hear that. Now, so we're talking about passion, but really, you know, Matt's got his Iron Maiden shirt on <laughs> and uh, Stefan's got a guitar. Is that I, I and so yeah. they're oh, nice. So the fact is, that is another passion. And of course, you're both working full time, your parents, uh, you have partners. 
you're really busy and then you've got this music. And so tell us a bit about your passion for music. Why and how does that balance out with everything else that you have to do with your responsibilities? And maybe just start with Stefan and then over to Matt. I mean, I think so to put a sort of like, like little foundation is like Matt and I, we didn't actually meet when we were kids because I'm quite, I'm a bit older than Matt. So I met Matt, what, maybe eight years ago properly. I mean, I, I think I knew Matt when he was born. I shouldn't say that. But we met properly about eight years ago when, when we, uh, we, uh, we started thinking about a project that we could do together. And, and I knew he, one of the great things about Matt is he's, you know, he's a multi-instrumentalist. He plays double bass, he plays all these different things. And I wanted to play with a double bassist. And, I, you know, through the grapevine, oh, Matt Willing, he plays a double bass. Email, long story short, eight years later, we're here now. But in that time, we've played in two, well, yeah. three, three different projects together. And, and the project that we've got now, I think, is this culmination much like the journey to teaching, the Flare Star project that we have now is the culmination of this eight-year journey that we've we've gone through together musically and creatively. And and so, the, how do we negotiate it? I think it's very fluid. It's very organic. We don't force it. You know, if, if one of us doesn't feel like practicing, we don't practice. It's very, it's very laid back. But we're also kind of tapping into that very nice um, world of sort of teaching hours where you know, on, on a Wednesday evening, you know, that's why we're looking a bit high now is because we actually just had practice before because we have a concert on Saturday. Uh, high, obviously, creative high, nothing else. <laughs> um, and, it's an adult podcast. We're good. <laughs> and, uh, so we, 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 we make it happen because I think it's just organic. It's, it's happening. It, we don't force things. And I think we've gone through other projects where it was very forced. We had to have a two-hour practice on a Sunday morning and, a, and an hour practice on this day and that. Whereas this one, we just have Wednesdays. That's when we practice. And if we get if we practice, we practice. If we don't, we don't. And it's okay. But we still rock on no matter what we do. I mean, and, and it's um, it's a very creative project, as in like we both play multiple instruments and. I think much like our outlook to the, the band, which is very organic, we kind of write our music to how the song wants to go. So if I'm going to play the mandolin and Matt wants to play the double bass, then we'll make a song around the mandolin and the double bass. If I want to play nice. drum, Matt wants to play bass, uh, um, I don't know, guitar or even guitar, we'll, we'll try and write a song like that. So it's, it's very organic. I think that's the word. I've said it three times. It's organic. So... You're describing this very fluid, organic, where there's no pressure. Matt, you have younger children. So, of course, you, you know, with younger children, there's often many more responsibilities and mm -hmm. presences. So do you think this this is part of the reason? Because of your situation, you're like, I want to be part of a project, but it has to be really organic. Because you talk about being in other bands. Yeah, right. Well, um, so as Steph was just chatting there, I was just thinking of a really like sort of non-sexy version of why I think it works so well. And this is definitely from being a head of department. I've heard someone say, you never rise to like your aspirations, you just force a level of your systems. <laughs> and say, on, on just a purely practical note, uh, Steph lives on the way home. <laughs> we have a rehearsal room set up. We plug and play. I literally walk in and within five minutes we're playing. We jam and I walk out. And then we say, hey, see you next week. See you next time. What are we going to do? And as a result, I call it, it's time neutral. So then I get to get home, pick up my daughter from crash, and my son comes around and it all fits in. So it's one of these things that the pragmatic side of it works so well. And Steph was saying that we've been out of the bands, we had to drive 45 minutes in the morning to go and rehearse. Uh, it, it, was, um, it was tough, the whole morning would be gone. This slots in because it works as well. So there's this whole like, um, this technical side of things which just make it so much easier. And you, but, which is interesting, you're a duo. So you're multi-instrumentalist and you shared some of the instruments that you played. Is this something that you did on purpose or is it just by coincidence? No, it, it, you want to tell us a bit? It's an extremely uh, focused uh, objective. We, we had a project before 
uh, called the Flocking Murmuration, and it was very good, very successful. Everybody had their role. I was the drummer. Matt was the bassist. Danny, our friend, was the guitarist, the yeah. from Eklund, who also went to Eklund, and Mark, a fantastic slide guitar. But everybody had their role, and that was their role. Um, when when we kind of disbanded the Flocking Murmuration, uh, um, Matt and I decided we wanted to continue playing together because obviously drums and bass, you, you develop a connection. It's kind of sixth sense, kind of, you feel it. You, we feel each other. That didn't sound right. We, we stand with each other. And, um, and we decided then that when we were going to start a new project, that we were going to do exactly the opposite. There would be no rules. So that if one of us wants to play the guitar and one of us wants to play the drums, that's what we'll write the song for. That's how we're going to write the song. Or, or you know, we have some songs where we don't, we, we, we work a lot with computers and samplers. So we have some songs, which is basically guitar and computers and vo vocals, because we thought, well, we don't really want anything else on it. We just want to have that sound, very electronic sound. So it's a very, it's a very, um, it's a very focused objective, but being very open whilst we do it. But there is very much this idea of we want to follow the music where the music wants to go, not saying, oh, I'm a drummer, I'm just going to play drums for you. Yeah. I'm going to write the song. It, it, it's very. It's very um, focused in its objective, but very open in how we get to that objective. And Matt, you've you mentioned that you were playing with other bands, mm -hmm. uh, and now you're focused on this. What is how's your transition like with Stefan? Did, did why did you also gravitate to this model or this idea of this collaboration? And there's a whole long list of reasons. <laughs> I was going to say just on that note, one of the other like non-sexy pragmatic things is organizing two people is much easier than organizing four people and five people. And so yeah. it always made it happen. No, exactly as, as Seth was saying, this, the the organicness of it means that you can express yourself freely. You can try things out. You can be a musician in lots of different ways. Um, I mean, for example, I can try singing sometimes, like which is for better or for worse. <laughs> and as a result, we get a lot done. The other thing I do have to say is like, Steph is an amazing force for good in booking gigs and pushing the band forward and preparing the promo and all those things because like you know i we claimed i have small kids and also like you know steph is just driven like uh, like nobody else and so one of the great things of working with steph is that he just keeps the project flying and so how important is this for your well-being you know well-being is kind of the hip thing everybody talks about it and obviously music i mean you're both you know matt you're head of department you teach chemistry you teach tok those are some, you know, IB, those are some very demanding uh, workflows. How does that work for you, Matt, in the sense of that gives you the balance and you find time and then you have your family? I think the best way to sum it up is usually at the end of every practice, the two things we tell each other is that was awesome. I needed that. <laughs> and pretty much it's like your your lifeblood, your essence. I, I worked out maybe about 10 years ago that I'm not saying that um, I know what's good for me, but I know what I need. And, uh, you know, I need friends and family. I need love. I usually need adventure in the mountains, but I need music. And if I go a week without music, I become a less good parent. I become a less good partner and a less good teacher. And I realize it just regenerates me. So that's interesting. So really your, your capacity to be a, a, a professional in the context as an educator is really dependent on your capacity to have that musical outlet. Without a doubt. Stefan, how about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, there's not one day that I, not one day in my life since I was about 12 or 13 that I don't play music of some form, drums, guitar. Um, like Matt, you know, if, if there's a time when I don't, then I, I'm, I'm affected by it. I, my mental health is affected by it. It's something that, 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 that gives me joy, but it also something that helps me evacuate stress, that helps me take a world perspective I mean, even even just in the songwriting process um you know when, the, when we had our confinement due to covid and everybody was uh, at home we because in switzerland you were allowed to have a duo you were allowed to be two people in the same place oh you were we okay so we carried on so we wrote songs about covid we did we did um we did into um what we did online concerts so our fans could see us so we that I think it would have been a very different experience. I think COVID and uh, in, in our in our context would have been a very different experience if we hadn't have had the band, because we could see each other, we could feed off each other, 
we wrote songs which kind of evacuated all those feelings and we shared those with people that were going through the same things as us you know people we have fans luckily fans from all around uh, the world that locked down in canada and ukraine and scotland and everywhere so they could hear these songs about you know the feelings you're feeling and the number of lo lovely messages we got back saying that's a beautiful song thank you makes me feel better so I'm a, I'm a great believer in the power of music. And, you know, I think it was Bob Marley that said that music can save the world. And I am a firm believer that music can save the world. I would only agree with you. Absolutely. So as you guys are you know, teaching, being parents, and you've got this musical project, what is the priority? How do you prioritize things? So, you know, many educators have different passions. And how are you prioritizing things, Matt? What What is... Do you literally have a piece of paper and you're like, okay, this is, or is it more fluid because you know the music is what's going to feed everything else? Again, I go back to my systems. <laughs> I have systems in place which um, make sure, and the way I put it is, uh, I know that if I want, but like, you know, in the airplane, they tell you, fit your own gas mask first before helping others. Absolutely. I try and go with that as much as possible and make sure I prioritize time for music to make sure that then I can be better at everything else I do. So for example, even tonight, right now, my partner's taking care of his kids. And he's like, I get it, we'll do it. And so what will happen is I'll go back energized and then on another day, I'll try and find a space to give her space. But that means that at the end of the day, we've enriched our lives. And I try and make sure that I try and play that game as much as possible. So do you think, you know, often, and I'm sure you see it yourselves in the context of your own uh, school, a lot of teachers are very passionate and they tend to put in a lot of long hours. That's just the nature of the passion that educators have. Any thoughts, uh, Stefan, or about what would you advise somebody, maybe they're not a musician, mm -hmm. but kind of having both, you know, being able to have this personal passion and also be personally engaged professionally and really passionate about the day work, in other words, being an educator? Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those tricky questions, John. Thank you. Um, no, I, mean, I, I personally, my own view, I believe to be a better teacher, you need to have something else that that stimulates you, so that you can then take that back to to the people you're working with, to the to the students you're working with. I think that if you you kind of get this sort of tunnel vision in just your your employment or your job, that you kind of maybe. You may be more prone to have like a burnout or get stressed about things. Whereas I also think on that side of things that I think it's really important for your students to see that you have a passion because especially, you know, within the IB um, um, framework, we're trying to sort of like build up these, these entities of thinkers, critical thinkers and people that have many passions and want to have action on the world. And I think if they see us having what I consider our action on the world is our music and we're, we're contributing, we're, we're putting statements out with our music, that, that, that our students will feel that. And then, then in turn, they will do that. And maybe, maybe that that will feed on to people in our schools that have uh, maybe thinking about having passions and they can see that you can, you can be passionate about your job and you can be passionate about your passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really resonates. I, I think that's quite powerful what you're saying in the sense if you're in a teaching situation, you're surrounded by students that are learning. If they see you with another passion, that's kind of a very powerful message. Matt, do you actually try to share that? Because you're working with older students and you're mm -hmm. talking about theory of knowledge. How often does that permeate in your own teaching that to, to highlight and amplify the importance of having this other passion on top of your professional passion? Yes, well, I, mean, I normally show my students some music videos. It's like, how would you inspire them? I, I think about, you know, my, my son, what would I like my son to see? I'd like them to see somebody who does more than their work. And so to be an inspirational teacher, you don't have to teach, but then you also have to sort of embrace life as it is. Um, and so what I want my students to realize is that at the end of the day, the, there's so many more things to life than your job. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I normally say like, hey, the thing I want you to do when you come out of my class is to be kind. You know how to work with people and be kind. If you learn some chemistry, it's a bonus. Um, and just in response to something I said earlier about like, you know, teachers put a lot of hours. 
Um, and I really appreciate that. And some of the things I've tried to work for my department is to be careful which metrics we use to measure uh, good teaching or measure success and say that you don't have to measure it by time. Maybe there's other ways of measuring it. So you might do some, some, some marking, you might build an exercise that might not take you very long, but it's so impactful. And so you don't need to spend 10 hours there. Uh, and so the, the take home message I normally try and get from my, my, my team is we need to be sustainable teachers. So at the end of the day, you don't want to work yourself into the ground because you won't be a good teacher afterwards. You, you want to be an example to the students. So I, I want my students to see me. And sometimes like, have you graded the test? And I say, no, I haven't. I was too busy um, doing nothing else, <laughs> just messing around. And I want to set the example that you don't have to work every hour of, of your life. And it's okay to then go, go do something else and just be like, hey, I'm relaxed. Yeah, I didn't do it. I'm sorry, that's what it was. And obviously there's like a, a balance there with being professional, but I feel like the message obviously is what about having more of a holistic life. Uh, and that's what I hope we, we, we impart to them. You know, I realized that students, are, the IBs are very, very, very demanding. And I worry that students then go into the world expecting that to be the default. That's how hard you should work for the system, so to speak. And hoping that you get pretty perspective on that. And I think your point's a very important one. The IB is really grueling and also are the AP and the IGCSE and A levels. And it's so interesting you're bringing this idea of talking to your uh, team about the, the thought that it's not about the long hours. It's how smart we work, how meaningful and how purposeful we are. And we just uh, a couple of weeks ago had Dr. Helen Kelly, who's a specialist on uh, burnout and well-being with teachers. And that's something that really she amplified. So it's really refreshing to hear you as a school leader, really making that in the forefront of some of the conversations you're having with your teams. One thing is we've never named your band. Tell us about your band and where we can hear you, because I think that's important. You've, you've been so humble. Uh, go ahead, tell us. Who are so, you and where can we find you? Okay, so the band is called Flare Star. And um, we're on all the big uh, on all the big platforms, but we have a website. It's www.flarestar.ch, and it's all one word. And yeah, I mean, it's um, a flare star is actually it's kind of like when a star, a very star, very far away, kind of emits um, sporadic bursts of energy. So it looks like a flashing star. That's what nice. it's like. And How so, did you come uh, up with that, Matt? How did well, what brought that up? I mean, we, we, I mean, it was Steph, I mean. <laughs> we went back and forth about a lot of things, then we kind of um, worked onto it and we're like, is this going to be, is this going to be this? And yeah, we kind of like the, we kind of, because we kind of looked at things and then we kind of liked the idea of this un, unpredictable burst of energy. That's what we kind of liked. And we thought, uh, being slightly um, older rock stars, that we, we are kind of unpredictable and sometimes we can be, we can burst unpredictably. And it also kind of encompasses the, the kind of groove of the music as well. The music is very dynamic. It's um, I think if you could maybe say it's more of a, a more of a, a sound, a wall of sound, a journey. It's not nice. so much play a concert. It's not so much like you're going to go hear twelve songs. You get when you come and see us. You you sit down and then you got an hour and a half of sound that comes at you, and it goes from samples to little folk songs to hard rock to so it's really a journey and and that's what we wanted to encompass in the name which is this sort of this sort of unpredictable burst of energy and the music that's how it happens it kind of comes and it goes and it and it connects also with what you were both saying is that your band you know if you don't want to practice you don't practice there are no timetables so i think it all comes together just want to remind our audience in the show notes matt and stefan have been very generous and they put their bio but they put some books that they like some music and some resources so please do uh scroll down to the show notes and you can pick up on that stefan and matt if you were going to talk to somebody a student or even a young adolescent or a young adult why would they maybe want to consider becoming an international school educator? And I'll ask each one of you to kind of share that. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but you guys are on a roll here. Matt? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, have an I have an answer for this because I, it was one of the questions I think I was asked during my uh, teaching interview to get on the PGCE, which I actually did excellent as well about 10 years ago. And one of the things I remember doing was I, I finished my PhD and I tried to find a, a job. And I, I wrote um, a bunch of different cover letters in different different industries, so industry, um, finance, 
teaching, um, sort of academia. And, and yeah, it was very easy for me to pick the teaching one. And one of the main reasons is because I felt like if I went to academia, which I was supposed to do, I could work in six labs around the world. And then I looked at teaching, I'm like, I can work anywhere. Like everywhere needs a teacher. In the future, even when AI comes along, I mean, the discussion we've been having in school have made us even more convinced that we're going to need human educators in the face of AI. So with that, you are sort of building yourself into a necessary piece of humanity in the future. What a great idea. Anywhere in the world opens up to you. What a great idea. Absolutely. I can't agree with you more. Stefan. That was pretty epic. Yeah. <laughs> and no, and I think, you know, well, what I, I liked, Matt, was that you reminded us that this conversation about AI is only amplifying <laughs> the importance of teachers but and education, but maybe in a different approach. Uh, you know, I, I actually was talking to some educators and we were looking at ChatGPT and they were like, oh, I'm going to be out of a job. I said, you have to stop teaching to your past. You have to teach to the students present and then you'll realize how important you are. That's my little mm -hmm. moment. But Stefan, please. Right. What can I say? I'm going to go against everything. No, no. I, I think what I would say to maybe uh, someone that's looking into going to teaching is the fact that it's it's. it's creating real connections, it's creating community, and it's creating, um, co-creating with students that I think is fine, finds very interesting. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, it's great environments to work in, great uh, times to work in as well. And um, yeah, I don't know, Matt kind of blew it out of the water, so I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? listen, both of you, thank you so much. It's just been such a rich conversation. And I think, you know, the, the uniqueness of having three generations of international school uh, families, you know, I, just the thought that you're saying to your daughter, grandpa, you know, that how many of us <laughs> remember that grandfathers were international school educators. And it's a testament to the whole system around the world and all the educators and people that founded these schools. I mean, we owe them so much. And uh, just want to remind our audience, www.flarestar.ch. Uh, I, I, I follow them on Spotify and who knows, they might be at the local uh, festival this summer, wherever you might be. But Stefan, Matt, thank you so much for sharing your passion and uh, your music with us. Thank you. Thank you, John. And thank, thank you. Very much.